What's up guys and gals and welcome to Wolfie's Gaming Den. First things first, I hope everyone had a fun and safe 4th of July weekend. I spent mine seeing some good friends, having a few brews, and watching Stranger Things, and hauling giant cornhole boards from Kentucky to Ohio. And I mean giant. These things on a truck cleared about 11 feet. Um, but huge thanks again to Three Points Urban Brewery for letting me borrow those. They made some adults at a three-year-old's birthday party extremely happy. Um, other than that, my sister came by and is visiting me for the week, so I've been spending some time with her as well. And on top of all of that, I'm getting ready to move. I mean, not far from where I'm at right now. I'm still in northern Kentucky, but just moving to a nicer place with cheaper rent. You can't beat that unless you buy a house. I highly recommend everyone buy houses, you know, if you can afford it and you have the time and the money to do it, do that. Probably a lot less to deal with, or at least not as stressful, and you own it. It's yours, <laughs> which is a great feeling. Um, and that move literally happens within the next 24 hours. And then a week after that, I go on vacation. So just a heads up to everyone, there won't be a new episode from the days of the 19th through the 28th. Um, so I think by listening to me blab on about this, I think you guys are understanding why this episode is coming out on a Monday night instead of your typical mid-Sunday uh, afternoon for your listening pleasure. Honestly, I attempted to record on Sunday last night, and literally 10 minutes into recording, I went from saying, yeah, so I think PlayStation could totally, okay, you know what, I'm too exhausted for this, I'm going to bed. It was like one solid fluid thought. I Not even a, not a beat was missed. I just like, eh, can't do it. Hit, I hit stop on the record button, deleted the track, and went straight to bed. It was, whew, it was a long weekend. Tell you what, though. Even though this week has been extremely busy, I still found some time to play some good old video games. The lady and I started playing Don't Starve Together. And I have to tell you guys, I, I like it. I like it a lot. Now, and the reason that's important okay, is because I typically hate games that just drop you in with no sense of goal or direction. So, for instance, a few months back, you know, her and I tried uh, Stardew Valley on the Switch with her sisters, and I I walked away extremely annoyed because there's literally no explanation on what does what. Like, there's no, oh, hey, this button does this. Oh, hey, you should do this. Like, there's nothing. So, my first thought is, okay, I'll talk to the people in the town and see what I can get going, what kind of information I get. And a good 80-90% of the time, it, it does nothing for you. It, they're just telling you random things, and you don't know what the random things mean because you have no explanation on what's going on. So you're walking around, going around, doing things, random things, hoping it's going to trigger some kind of event or something. Some, 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 there will be a thing in front of you, and it'll be like, hey, you just caused this, now you have a thing you can do, or something. But it just never happened. I don't know. I don't know how to play the game. It doesn't tell you how to play, so I just give up. It, it gives me a new appreciation and helps me explain more why I like Animal Crossing. Uh, you know, because Animal Crossing, yeah, sure, you drop in, but in that condescending Tom Nook is tell you is telling you what's what, and you owe him money, and he puts you to work. Now I have a a Tom Nook plush. I have willingly given to my cat, and she mauls it every day, much to my joy. But you know what? At least at the end of the day, he tells you what he wants you to do. He's like, hey, go out there and make me money to pay your mortgage. Okay, Tom, on it. And you know what? He doesn't care how I do it. He just wants me to do it and pay him. And that is a-okay by me. And then I go around and I talk to different townsfolk and like, oh, hey, you can do this and I'll give you this. Oh, okay, great. And the game will be like, oh, hey, you haven't done this before. So here's this thing. Here's how you do it. Okay, great. After that, you do whatever you want, how you want to do it. 
And is that is that so much to ask in a, in a game that's giving you so much freedom? You know, I'm just asking for, like, just a nudge, a little push. You go, okay, not a whole lot. Now, Don't Starve, what's great about it is that, sure, it doesn't it drops you in the game, and it doesn't outwardly tell you you need to do these things, but you can see what your controls are. You can see your left trigger pulls at this menu. You can see your R trigger pulls at this menu, and Square and X do this, this, and this. You see that. It, it doesn't really tell you what it's on the screen, so it's like, oh, what does this do? You look at the screen long enough, you'll find the button, you're like, oh, okay, it does this. And you're going around, you're collecting materials, and you go through your menus, and it's like, okay, these materials combine to this. So you're experimenting, see what materials you should get first, what you should save for later, or what you might need, need at all, all with the goal of like lasting as long as you can. Uh, and it's like a game of trial and error, because... All the while you're prepping and trying to make these, you know, get the perfect combination of things in a se- great sequence so you last as long as you can, the environment also changes and it's throwing new enemies at you. So, you know, you could be one day totally fine and you're okay, and then it's raining, and that's like, well, how do I adjust to this? And then you get through that, and the next day it's like, oh, hellhounds are coming after you, how do I fight these? And then you die from whatever may happen, and you're like, okay, well, now that I know what this thing does, I know how I to get to that point easier and then I also know, okay, I have those things to worry about, so I should go ahead and prep for this too. And all the while, the world is randomly generated, so it changes every time you play. So you still have that challenge behind it, of trial, but it's also still trial and error. Like You have an idea what you need to do, you just got to go find it and hope you can get it done in time. So, And I appreciate that. And then it has a, a Souls-like thing, what happens when you die, where you drop all of your collectibles and your partner can come by and use them for their own benefit to help uh, get themselves situated, and then eventually bring you back to life. Or you, you know, if they have everything early on, they can bring it back to life, and you can join in, grab all your stuff, and keep going. So that I, I appreciate. I can get behind that. I can't wait to play more. Um, so that's there. Now, don't worry. I'm still on my PS2 Classics kick. Going, the run is still going strong. I am now. I'm still continuing the Jack and Dexter collection there. Uh, I feel like I said Dexter, but Daxter, Daxter, Jack and Daxter, and that's Jack with a K, no C. Uh, but right now, I'm about a halfway through Jack 2. And you know what? Now let's talk about that because Jack 2 is one hell of a sequel. You know, a lot of sequels come out and you notice some quality of life changes here and there. And you have some new things. and blah, blah, blah. But it's not enough to where you say, oh, I can see where they've done a lot. And they did a lot of characters, a lot of upgrades in this. The transition from the Precursor Legacy to my, my boy Jack in Jack 2 you notice right then and there, and it's great. You've got better character models, like looking at Daxter from one to tune, one to tune, one to two is great. You can see where they took the quality. Like, okay, let's let's refresh him up a bit. And he's got some smoother edges. You can see the details in the fur a little bit more. The animations aren't as choppy. Uh, sound levels are great. They're even. I feel like in Jack and Daxter and the Precursor Legacy, sound levels are kind of all over the place. One moment the voices are really loud, the next the music is really loud, and then they're dipping and going up and down and randomly for no reason. And you can't really gauge when it's going to happen, so if you're playing late, late at night, like I was, you're waking up everyone in the apartment. And you're like, sorry, my volume was at 2, now all of a sudden it's on 50. I don't know why. Um, so there's that. You've got some new gameplay mechanics, you know, with the... Um, with driving, the gunplay, uh, the hoverboards, and to top it all off, it gave me a narrative I actually cared about. Now, not to take anything away from the play, the Precursor Legacy, I I didn't care about what I was doing. 
you know, so the gameplay in the Precursor Legacy and the lack of load times in the Precursor Legacy, which will lead to my conversation later, um, well, you know, that was phenomenal. It was new, it was smooth, especially for an early PS2 game, just showing, hey, the console can do this stuff. But at the end of the day, when it came to the narrative, I was a mute kid with my friend who was turned into an orange weasel doing random tasks for people to turn him back with these people having no real connection other than existing to give me a task to do. And then all of a sudden, at the end of it, I'm saving the world from a villain. And the villain is not, is only very much shown at the end of the game. You, you know, and the, the plot twist was, oh, the person that can turn him back into a human is the villain. Okay. That'd be more shocking if, like, I got more exposition to the villain or at least heard more about how great of a person he was and all of a sudden he's evil, you know, that'd be great. But you don't get that. It just happens. Like, oh, okay. And then all the while you're also realizing that other sages are missing, but like, it's a, oh, he's missing. He's not here. Where could they have gone? And that's it. And all of a sudden, oh, all four are kidnapped. Okay. And then 10 minutes later you save all four and then another 10 minutes go by, you beat the final boss, game's over. Like, these four people that were so pivotal to being kidnapped in such a awe-inspiring moment, like, oh, they're gone, what's happening? And they're in the game, literally each, maybe about 30 seconds, to deliver a couple liners, and that's it. That's it. So it's just like, eh, I don't care about what I just did. It was fun playing it. I, I Nothing is memorable about this. And it, it did also give us Daxter, one of the greatest video game sidekicks of all time. And I'll argue with anyone about that. Hands down. Just saying. Anyway, uh, I mean, not, and that's, you know, not to take away from Jack 2. I mean, not to, not to take away, but not to say Jack 2 is without its flaws. Because nothing is more infuriating than being in a timed mission. Every guard on the map is after you, which is even when a mission's not active. Because you tap one of these guys, brush past them in the shoulder, and they have an entire army over you. Um, you're on your vehicle. You hit a turn just a little too tight, and the tip of it hits the tip of a corner, and boom, you have started a 20-car pileup, countless murders, and it looks like a scene out of a Fast and Furious movie, and you don't know what happened. All the while, you're just trying to grab just this glowing sack of cash, just a few feet in front of you, you know? So, it's there. So, where, I guess what I should say is, so where the Precursor Legacy did not do anything narrative-wise phenomenally, uh, it laid the groundwork, you know. It started the legacy, if you would. And Jack 2 expanded upon that groundwork and built a city on top of it. And it was glorious. For the most part, except for the driving. Driving was annoying. Luckily, that all gets better And Jack 3 and Jack X Combat Racing. And I can't wait to tell you guys about it because I'm excited. And you are here to listen to me blab on about it on Wolfie's Gaming Den, a video game podcast where I, your host, Alex Wolf, with an E on the end, talk to you about video games, howling on about anything from the latest news in the industry to giving my opinion on some good old timely video game topics. You can watch the show every Sunday on Anchor FM, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. Got something you want me to talk about specifically? Shoot me a message on Twitter at AlexDWolf or on Tumblr at Wolfie93. Want to support the show? Head on over to anchor.fm slash Wolfie's Gaming Den and click the support this podcast button. It's that simple. You can do 99 cents a month, you can do 4.99 a month, or you can do 9.99 a month. I don't care which. 
any support is great. I love you just for listening. So before we get into that, let me tell you guys about where this episode is being brought to you by, and that is Anchor. Looking for a way to start a podcast? Already in the planning stages and need hosting? Or are you just trying to make get your voice heard as on many platforms as, as you can? Then try Anchor FM. Anchor FM makes it easy to get your podcast started. It has everything you need ranging from logos, background music, recording software, all from the convenience of your phone, using the Anchor FM app, or going to www.anchor.fm on a computer. The only thing they don't supply you with is a microphone. And with easy-to-use creation tools, you'll have everything at your fingertips to create a professional-sounding podcast. Best part of all, they'll distribute the show for you, getting your show on platforms like Apple, Google, and Spotify, and more. Looking to make money for your show? They'll help you find sponsors too. Did I mention that all of this is free as well? So go ahead, get on over to anchor.fm or download the Anchor FM app and get your voice heard. Now, with all that out of the way, it's time for me to howl at this week's moon. And this week's moon, my listeners, is what is up with PlayStation strategy with their next-gen console? So last week, Wall Street Journal reported that two PlayStation execs talked about how their audience is next their audience with next gen is the hardcore game players focusing on uh, focusing in on visuals low time triple a titles from publishers as well as top notch exclusives from their internal studios with a lesser focus on the indie game scene now that last part i feel like has a ton of people in a tizzy because lest we forget playstation was a huge supporter of the indie games in the days of the playstation 3 so why the change well i'll tell you at least my thoughts on the change Indie games are more popular than they ever have before. It's hard to find, you know, indie exclusives. While they're there, and there's some gems, you know, it's not every day you hear about an indie being exclusive or a timed exclusive. Like, even Cuphead, which was praised as being Xbox godsend of an indie title, eventually came to Switch. You know? So, you know, and as, you know, as a developer, an indie developer... You want as much exposure as possible, so you want to put them on whatever you can. That's a given, you know? So why spend... So for PlayStation, why spend time and money heavily advertising games that aren't actually going to push the masses to buy your console when you can invest all of that into a AAA title that will? You see what I mean? Like, those indie games are going to be available no matter what on everything, eventually, most of the time. You don't need to spend all this time and money saying, oh, play it on my console first, play it on my console first, when eventually it's going to be on anything everywhere. Anyway, why not go ahead and double down the AAA title that you know is going to move your console, you know? And so I I won't say that Sony or PlayStation has completely forgotten about the indie scene, but they did what they wanted to do with it by putting some spotlight on them for a few years until people realized, hey, these smaller games are pretty damn good. Think of it like the Karate Kid, all right? And I use this loosely. You have a youth with great talent is being overlooked just because of how small they are or whatever, but some great old wise man with a storied past has the ability to put the put them on the map and get their talents you know polished and recognized. And when the kid has their moment and everyone starts taking notice of them and other and notice of them and others like them in a similar situation, the great wise man can slowly step away and let them shine. Now. I get that's not at all what the Karate Kid was about or the plot by any means, but you get what I mean, you know. Sony said, "Hey, there's a lot of any, there's a lot of developers out here, smaller developers who aren't getting noticed whatsoever. 
Let's help them bring this scene, not just one developer, but all of the indie scene into the spotlight. Show people, hey, you don't need to go spend $60 on a brand new game every time. There are smaller titles out there with just as much love and care that goes into these AAA titles that you can play that are great. And they've always been here and they always will be. And they did that, you know. I think they did a good job with that. They got Microsoft to step it up and put their um, focus on it with ID at Xbox. They got Nintendo to step it up now with the Switch with an Indies program. You know, and Sony, I truly believe, started that trend and got them noticed. So now that everyone's doing it, Sony's like, okay, we did what we needed to do. We got our boys to shine. Now let's go back to focusing on us. So with that being said... It's no surprise that visuals and load times are a huge focus this time around. Um, I mean, within the last two console generations, starting with the Wii 360 and PS3, games have upscaled their visual quality so much so fast to the point it's a lot of people are asking, where else can it really go? Like, obviously there's 8K, but, you know, a lot of people already say, oh, from 4K to 1080p, I can't see too much of a difference. I can see some of the finer details, but it's nothing crazy. And we'll have the same people say about 4K to 8K. So... Where else does it go? You know, it it happens so much. So with those graphical improvements, though, came large data files. And with large data files came load times. Now, I could be wrong on this. I can't remember exactly. But I want to say during the PS2 or like mid-to-end PS2, GameCube, and Xbox generation, load times were dwindling a bit. You know, they weren't as noticeable. Or at least they weren't as a hassle. And then those walls came crashing down. Load time started skyrocketing up with the PS3, the Wii, and the 360 as HD graphics, online multiplayer, and motion controls that arrived. You know, that's a lot of stuff going on in these games now all of a sudden. So, and now you've got games having to install before you play them like they were on a PC. So, and then you had patches and updates and DLC, yada, yada. So, loading once again was in our faces. And more so than ever because they're on the they're on your home screen before you've even started the game with an install. And now a lot of these features, you know, online play, HD graphics, and motion controls have become a mainstay for the most part in the industry for at least a decade now. So it's time to start trimming that load time fat now that it, everyone's used to it. So not surprising that's a huge focus for them. Uh, I'm excited because, you know, it'll be, It'll be exciting to see how quickly games process, especially with this new the new patent Sony has on that, where things will start preloading as they recognize your character is getting closer to an environment. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, now, where my interest lies on in all of this when it comes to their stratagem, as I'm sure it does with others, is how will PlayStation get the AAA game partnerships they're looking for, uh, especially seeing how Microsoft has been buying everything up. Uh, you know, will we see them go on a, a similar shopping spree like Xbox has in the last two years? Or will we see relationships relationships build akin to theirs with Insomniac? You know, so I feel like that latter idea is the long game, you know? So think, hear me out. I could be totally wrong on this. Uh, so developers like being able to do what they want a majority of the time, you know? They, they want to say, oh, hey, let's make this game. Okay, great. Let's make this game. Let's find someone to publish it. Be done with it, you know, and we on to the next project, you know. So, but say every once in a while, a, a large publisher like PlayStation uh, comes by 
and tosses you a large sum of money to put out a huge title to to a you know let's say Insomniac, and like hey we want you to put out a awesome Spider-Man game you know, uh, so we just want a good Spider-Man game or you know a big franchise, and with that you keep your independence because you're still an independent developer, and excluding the one title or franchise that brings in so much money, it's funding all of your other projects. So you keep that freedom, but get the profit you need to support your individual goals. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, sounds like the dream to me. You know, being able to say I'm my own person and every once in a while cutting a deal with some guy to get some extra cash flow and then going back to your, you know, your norm until, hey, call you up. Hey, we need to make another game. Okay, cool. Here comes more money to fund the other things I want to do. You know, that sounds like a, you know, a win-win situation. So, because that also helps the publisher, you know, PlayStation in this matter, because now that developer is less likely, less likely to want to be bought because they know those, de- those types of deals exist. And the other publisher in the situation, Xbox, can't just come around saying, oh, I'll be, we'll give you this much money because they've got to come up with a large sum of money to convince a developer like Insomniac in the scenario to give up that independence and give up that cash revenue they're going to get when they put out this hot AAA title that's breaking the money. And the only sacrifice they have is that it's on one console, you know? Only sacrifice really isn't like, okay, this one game, this one franchise out of our massive library is exclusive. This one out of the, out of the few, you know? If that's what we got to do to make some money and continue to fund our own independent goals, so be it. You know, now as I said earlier, I'm no expert on how this works or how they come about. And I'm sure there's some huge, you know, huge holes in my logic. But, you know, it's a theory. It's a theory. And. I think those kinds of benefits and partnerships would be huge to PlayStation because it's going to set them apart from the competition. And more importantly, it's going to save them time. And even more importantly than that, it's going to save them money from having to go and search for developers that they can purchase and then wheel and deal with these developers so they can purchase them and what they're going to get, blah, 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 blah. That stuff takes time. They don't have to do that. They can go and say, hey, we like what you've done. We've, done it. We've had partnerships in the past. Would you mind making another game only for our console that we think will make you guys money and make us money? We don't want to take you over or anything. We just want a quick partnership and we'll, you know, see how things work down the line again. Okay, great. Sure. Sign me up. And that's all they got to do. Now, that being said, are there some developers I think PlayStation could elevate and um, being under their umbrella? You're damn right I do. Can and or will they happen? Maybe with a lot of coercing, but who knows? You know, things in the future can happen. Some developers may start falling off and realize, oh man, we need to be, we need funding, we need funding. Someone swoops in and says, hey, if we buy you guys out and you work exclusively for us, we'll, we'll give you money. Okay, great. Just make good games. Okay, cool. We'll give you the tools. But, you know, who knows what the future may hold. Anyway, guys and gals, That's all the time we have this week. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you all. Be sure to review, like, comment, subscribe, or whatever it is you can do depending on where you're listening. Remember, there won't be any new episodes from the 19th to the 28th, 
but that doesn't mean I won't have new things coming. Eventually, I'll have a dedicated social media page on Twitter and or Instagram or maybe Facebook. I don't know yet um, where you guys can kind of share your thoughts. Let me know how I'm doing or I can kind of feed you guys info that's happening. Um, I've also thought about getting into streaming late at night before I turn in for the night. Because, you know, lately I've been playing, especially with the PS2 games, I'll play them while I'm in bed. And I figured, why not? I'll stream what I'm doing through Twitch. I may not have like a camera filming me as I do things quite yet, especially when I'm in bed trying to sleep eventually I don't need all that so I'm like yeah let's people can make fun of how bad I am at video games or oh hey maybe there's that one person that thinks I'm good at it you know just saying I'm not terrible but you know that could always happen of course I'll keep you all updated to the best of my ability and you know again in case I don't see you good afternoon good evening and good night can I say that is that allowed is that a thing like that trademarked or anything like that can I put that at the end of every episode I kind of want to put that in the end of every episode. A way better transition, but who knows? It, it's one of, I have no idea. It's one of my favorite movie quotes, so I'm just going to stick with it until I get yelled at.